What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another discussion uh, with me and Levi. Um, this week, we start to talk about the concept of progressive overload, maybe uh, briefly touch on the differences between a performance-based program and a more GPP-oriented program. All of these things require really some deep explanation and could be entire subjects themselves, but we'll just go over the wave tops a little bit. Um, make sure that you are interacting with us on social media in terms of uh, people have been good about texting in questions or direct messaging us questions that they have based on episodes or feedback that they have for us, which I really appreciate, or just questions they have in general. We're always happy to hear that stuff. Um, the plan is to continue to do one of these a week between uh, Levi and myself, and then we're also going to start publishing another one that's just going to be me that'll really focus on um, coaching CrossFit and specifically group management and working on the specific adaptation that CrossFit athletes are looking for and different ways to go about that. Um, so it will really just be a more CrossFit-centric episode um, in addition, again, to the ones uh, between Dr. Johnson and myself. So I appreciate it, and uh, thanks for listening. Guys, we are so excited to finally announce our first mentor group that we're going to run through the Elevate Trainer Development Platform. These mentor groups are going to run for two months, and we're only going to take 10 people at a time. Over the course of that two months, we're going to do a weekly one-on-one -on -one Zoom call with me. There'll also be a weekly group Zoom call with the entire class where we'll get to talk about different things you guys are working on and strategies for making improvement. There's going to be video coaching feedback where you'll actually video yourself in a coaching session, and then we'll give you feedback on the next weekly one-on-one. -on -one. There'll also be various assignments and workshops that will be specific to what you're working on and where you're at. It's $250 for the two months. We're going to make announcements on our Instagram page and our Facebook page on how to get in contact with us, register for that kind of thing. So if you're interested in that sort of thing or you know somebody that might be, make sure you pay attention to those platforms or let the people who you think might benefit from it know so they can get signed up. All right. We're up and live. So no slurping loud. Talk like you mean it. Okay? I always talk like I mean it. <laughs> No, what happens is I listen to this thing. Do you ever listen to these? Do you listen to the whole thing? No, I don't listen to the whole thing because I'm sitting through it. Yeah, but I want to remember the things I said that were insightful and profound. Oh, my brain works, so I already know <laughs> what I've said. Okay. Well, when I listen to this, sometimes you're a little timid sounding. So I want you to be loud and proud, but don't yell at me. It's because smart people think about what they say before it comes out of their mouth, so sometimes there's a little bit of apprehension about what you're saying. <sighs> Whatever. Okay. Are you ready to talk about substance? About substance abuse? Well, no, no. The content you of the day. You stop with the, it. The content of the day. Okay. What's the content of the day? All right. The content of the day is we were talking about progressive overload, right? Uh, well, we often talk about progressive overload, and we talk about... Um, the different things that somebody would need to modulate to direct training at a specific adaptation. And so today, maybe wrapped up in this whole conversation, um, we were going to talk about what are those specific things that you would modulate to target to specific adaptation. And what 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 is that even about? What are we talking about when we talk about progressively overloading or stressing a certain 
uh, aspect of fitness or performance to direct it at a specific end state? And how is that different? And, and why is there conversations between like, oh, CrossFit training or GPP training is bad uh, and it's not best for this and it's poor training. It's when really I think what it is is two separate things and there doesn't need to be the this or that. It's it's a total and. Um, and, and so we'll just kind of talk about that whole thing. Help give people some guidance on how to do progressive overload in the right circumstance and when a GPP program or a CrossFit program might be the perfect thing for somebody. Um, so that was a lot of stuff. You can talk now. Yeah. So <laughs> I have to say, like, I listen to a lot of podcasts and I've read a lot of or listen to a lot of audio books and stuff. And they're usually by community. You don't read the books? You just listen no, to the I books? I just listen to them. Okay. Because uh, I drive a ton. Yeah. Um, but so I listen to a lot of audio books and podcasts from comedians, most of whom start out in some kind of, like, improv group. Mm-hmm. And the way you were just describing, like, CrossFit and it being, like, and whatever – Reminded me, like, CrossFit is like improv. It's yes and. You want to add on to things. You don't want to uh, say no but and change the thing. It's like, that's that's CrossFit in a nutshell. Got it. To no. you. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Yeah. Um, I think we should start out by defining what progressive overload is, just for those who don't know or aren't aware. So progressive overload is basically taking any one variable and progressing it, increasing its amount over a certain time period. Mm. You know, that can be volume, which is sets and reps. It can be intensity. So you go from 5 pounds to 20 pounds. You know, over time, everything is increasing gradually. And so this is one of my favorite subjects of strength and conditioning and rehab because all of all of the sports and health field are pretty much built around progressive overload. It's one of the most important topics. It's one of the foundational principles of strength and conditioning, rehab, even like nutrition and diet has some some progressive overload principles. It's just a really important topic. So there's there's so many different variables that we can break down and look at and look at progressing. The easiest ones are obviously sets and reps and load or intensity. Well, and before so before we get into those like specific things, because I want to talk about all of them, um, let's continue to talk about the overarching theme of progressive over, overload and why somebody would want to do it. So, I mean, the criticism of a CrossFit program or a GPP program is this random application, which is not true. We're going to talk about that in a second. But And, and we're, I'm not going to get too deep, deep into the weeds with programming stuff here. I really mainly just want to talk about why you want to progressive overload, when it's appropriate, when it maybe isn't as important. Um, and, and so why would a coach – or somebody who's writing a program for themselves or athletes, be focused on progressively overloading a specific adaptation. And then we'll get into, once we've kind of talked about that, we'll get into the different ways to actually do that. Yeah. So one of the things, the biggest reason we do it, and we've mentioned this in previous episodes, is adaptation. Right. We're always striving for more adaptation, better adaptation, 
to whatever the stimulus is for an end result. Specific adaptation. Yeah, specific adaptation. You can get generalized adaptation too, but with progressive overload, what you're really looking at is more specific. You can certainly do it for like a GPP or a conditioning standpoint. Well, yeah, which we which we often do, and I think most coaches that are working at a high level, even within the confines of what you would call a GPP or a CrossFit-style program, have some form of periodization or progressive overload appropriately written within the, the confines and the template of the program they're working under. Right, but so we do progressive overload because if you do – the same thing all the time initially you'll have adaptations Mm. but eventually you're not challenging yourself to an appropriate level so you cease to have adaptation right you may maintain that adaptation but you're not going to get any better from it so let's say you do three sets of 10 everybody Mm. loves three sets of 10 i don't (laughs) no you like three sets of like 50 well if it's light enough you know but i I like to do the ones and twos yeah (laughs) So, like, three sets of ten, you do three sets of ten for four weeks, that's fine. If you do it, you know, same amount of load the entire four weeks, you'll probably still get something out of it. You continue to do it for eight weeks, you probably get even less out of it. You do it for 12 weeks, you probably get nothing out of it at that point. Yet, you haven't progressively overloaded anything. You've kept your volume exactly the same, you've kept your load exactly the same. Let's say you kept rest intervals exactly the same yep. your nutrition was the same you get zero out of it after a while besides maintenance and there's something to be said for maintenance but it's sure. certainly not progressive overload it it depends on uh it depends on the phase of the year you're in and i think the biggest thing here that this all revolves around is what is the desired outcome right so a lot of this can be they're not exactly the, the same thing in terms of how I'm thinking about it or how we talk about it. But when we talk about progressive overload, another term that you'll often hear talk about, I mean, you obviously know this. We're talking to people listening to this who maybe are newer to this. But periodization is another term you'll hear that's associated with this idea of progressive overload. And really what happens if we, if we kind of get to the, the root of all this, it's there's some sort of desired end state. And that could be uh, a certain level of achieved adaptation that you want to be at at a certain period in time. It could be some sort of competitive event, like I've got this jiu-jitsu tournament on this day, or I have football season starting this season, or I'm going to the CrossFit Games this time, you know, in August. So it, it doesn't matter. The options are endless but what we're getting at here is there are specific adaptations people look to develop strength speed power right coordination agility there are all these athletic qualities that regardless of what you do if you're a police officer or in the NFL right or a CrossFit Games athlete we all are concerned with we we want to lean out we want to build muscle we want to be able to run further faster we want to be able to lift more weight all while maintaining overall health and depending on whatever it is you're involved in those adaptations are going to be manipulated to a certain extent like if you're a power lifter you're more concerned with absolute strength than you are with maximal aerobic capacity so therefore 
those adaptations are going to be shifted around and prioritized differently. So when we talk about this idea of progressive overload, it's you choosing to focus on, or periodization even, choosing to focus on an adaptation and then stack these adaptations on top of one of each other while you maintain one's uh, adaptations you've already worked towards. And progressive overload is the way you would actually go about developing or peaking these adaptations at that specific end point or desired you know, end state. And you do that through the program that you're writing. And then you do it through all the va- manipulating all the variables we're starting to identify. Right, and, exactly. So that's, that's why we're doing it, right? Yeah. And what you've kind of laid out is basically the framework for like a linear periodization program where you have certain variables that you're focusing on for a certain period of time, and then maybe you switch variables that is your focus, and you progress, and you maintain the other one. Mm-hmm. Like, let's say powerlifting is an easy example because it's a very simple sport in terms of training. Mm-hmm. You may have a period of time where you focus on actual aerobic capacity, when of, have you ever, ever seen? I know. This is, the, there's a lot ideally, of people that are going to disagree with me. Okay. But if you don't have some aerobic capacity, right. you won't have ability to handle volume later on in your training. Mm-hmm. This is basically your get back baseline health phase for a power lifter. Now, how short is that phase? <laughs> is this a two to, two to three day phase? <laughs> Hopefully like four weeks, but maybe okay. like a week and a half. Okay. Um, and so you have that phase, then enduring that phase, you don't want to not do squat, bench, and deadlift because after four weeks of doing a bunch of cardio and not lifting, you're going to feel like garbage if you're trying to hit heavy reps. But so you do that training for a little bit, you build up your recovery capacity, then you focus maybe on hypertrophy work, which... Getting jacked. Yeah, getting jacked, yeah, yeah. getting huge. You know, On board with that. <laughs> everybody loves getting huge. And so you have that same focus then. You don't want to entirely let go of your conditioning capacity or cardio capacity because it's going to help you with the recovery during your high-volume training for hypertrophy. And then at that point, you've hopefully built a little bit more lean tissue and you're ready to start a strength phase. Mm -hmm. And so during that strength phase, you're probably going to hit a lot of one to five reps during your sets, which is not a ton of volume, but it's tremendously straining on your body. And if you don't have the adaptations from conditioning or cardio and hypertrophy, you're not going to recover well. So you have these periods built in where you have single focuses, foci, I don't know what the plural of that would be. Multiple aspects that you're trying to facilitate. That's too many words. (laughs) Me lift weights. <laughs> Me eat sandwich. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you have these you have these periods of focus. You don't entirely let go of them into the next block of training. They carry over, but they're no longer your emphasis. Right. And so that's where powerlifting is pretty simple. You can basically rinse and repeat that over time as you become more elite athlete that'll vary more yeah and that's what hence like you know powerlifters will change up variations of the movement a lot i mean even guy like louis simmons he's famous for i mean he'll have you bench press a hundred different ways yeah right to keep that from happening right it yeah. gets a lot more complicated in other sports where 
Multiple the, adaptations are important. Multiple adaptations are important, and the thing you practice is not also necessarily your training. Like right. powerlifting, all of the training is also sport practice. Because right, ball sport. A football player isn't, like a clean is not what they're doing on the field. Right, exactly. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, any any ball sport, you know, um, anything that's not entirely exercise focused, like Triathlon, swimming, mm-hmm. um, running, mm-hmm. to some extent, track and field. Yeah, Cro- I mean CrossFit. Obviously, like it is kind yeah. of the sport of training. CrossFit, powerlifting, weightlifting. Yeah. Those are all the training is the same as the sport, mm-hmm. and so it gets a lot more complicated when that's not the case. Yeah, traditional you know, athletics, right? Hockey, team team baseball, sports, yeah. Tennis, whatever it may be. Sure. Okay, so I think what we've identified at least or attempted to right now is where this would be useful and it's and if always. we t- all, yeah all, always useful but if we were to take it back to hey who is involved in this or or who who would who would um not who's involved in this but who is who would this be helpful for what kind of coach and and like you just said always in any coach but specifically when we talk about progressive overload I want people to think about looking at their athlete and thinking about a quality and what is the end state that is the desirable uh, position they want that athlete to be in what do they want them to be able to do what do they want them to have capacity for and then you kind of work backwards and so even here when we're working with pilots on site um, I can't have there there isn't one quality necessarily more important important than the others like I don't specifically need them to focus on power throughout the year or maximal force production throughout the year or just specifically endurance. So what I'll do over the course of their program, I'll just continue to advance the loading and drop the volume down. That way they're constantly building towards um, heavier weights and I know that their body and their tissue, muscle, connective tissue, skeletal system, everything is ready for that kind of stress and strain. That's just one way I manage it for them. It's an oversimplified explanation of what we're doing with them, but it's one way I manage the effort not always being the same, and they're always building towards the most stressful thing. But obviously, like we said, in something like a ball sport, there's multiple right adaptations we're interested in. And and depending on the sport, depending on the athlete, there might be certain things that I need to prioritize over another. So progressive overload is really just starting to deconstruct what the demands are on the athlete and then start to systematically build up stress in a way that drives that adaptation. If we start with, right, here's the, here's the whole main point of it. If we start with too much stress, the athlete could have some sort of breakdown. They could have some sort of overuse injury, uh, right? It's not going to be the optimal way or most efficient way to drive adaptation. And then also we can't control necessarily or predict the end state because we're supposed to be working backwards. So we could end up peaking way too early or peaking way too late if we don't manage it based on when we need them to be in a specific position. Yeah, I think this is a really good opportunity for a callback to our last episode too, talking about coachability where we really focused on athlete coach relationship if you want to appropriately progressive overload progressively overload your your client or your patient or your athlete 
you need to know that athlete. Yeah. You need to know that person. You need to, and that goes into their sport as well. If you want to be successful with someone who competes in a particular thing, we'll say, you know, football, baseball, whatever, you need to know the physical demands of that sport and what your athlete is lacking in it because it's fun to do the things you're good at, mm-hmm. but one, it's going to be much harder to progressively overload the things you're already good at, and you're probably going to eke out minimal improvements where you can focus on something that they're not good at, what one of their lacking skills or traits is, and progressively overload that and make huge benefit, huge changes to benefit that athlete and their performance. So having that solid coach-athlete relationship will make a big difference in this as well so that you can know where you're going and from that point then you can start that systemic breakdown of how do we prioritize which specific aspect of their physical capacity that we want to challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so I think we've done a, a decent enough job talking about the different ways or not the different ways, but the, the overarching theme of what progressive overload and periodization is and why it's important. So, and now, and you had mentioned this at the beginning, there are specific things you want to modulate when it when it comes to directing right this adaptation towards that end state, and you identified them as loading, reps, rest intervals, volume overall, um, if it's a skill-based movement like a snatch even, I think about progressive overload as progressively adding pieces to that movement till you end up at the snatch, for example. You know, I, I don't just have, okay, this is how you do it. You just pull the ball off the ground and catch it over your head. Oh, by the way, you're in a full squat. Right? I gradually introduce elements of that movement until months later, usually, we're at the end point. So, Let's talk about different ways we can adjust these variables yeah. and what it might look like. Let's let's go back to skill real quick too. Okay. Skill, I think you can do intra sport as well. Sure. So meaning like during sport practice, like I, I do jujitsu and some judo and you're not gonna start out a new person with going straight into submissions or chokes. You're gonna teach them how to fall down. For sure. Because they need to know how to go from standing to falling without smacking their head and cracking their head open. Yeah. Um, You need to teach them how to tap out. Yeah. Because somebody more experienced is going to get them into an uncomfortable position. And and we're we're being so specific right now, but we act like this is a novel concept. I mean, we do this with driving. (laughs) Yeah. We do this when we're learning how to type on a computer. Like progressive overload exists, and when you talk about applying it to a training program, people are like, oh, this is radical thinking. Well, it's people not, who are new, it's, it's you not. Know, this no. is what you teach toddlers when they're learning how to talk. This yeah. is um, kindergarten and elementary school math and reading and writing. Like it's it's the foundational principle of learning basically for sure so i I do want to identify a a little bit of a split here we were talking about progressive overload which is how to within the adaptation you are seeking make positive transitions towards more difficult um, demands on the system or making progress towards that desired end state 
that is accomplished with a with an overarching pan, plan that has some periodization to it. And that's where you are managing the effort overall in terms of the implementation of all these adaptations to that athlete by that endpoint. So we can talk more about periodization when we talk about overall programming. But right now we'll stay within this concept of progressive overload. Um, and if you don't have anything else to add on the skills, then we can kind of start talking about these specific aspects to modulate. Yeah, let's get into it. Okay, uh, so loading is obviously a big one. I think most people will understand that one of the things you can progressively overload is the weight on the bar. And that means going from lighter weights and over time, and there's many ways to do this, we're not going to talk about one specific way or this is the way, but going from lighter weights to heavier weights and working through the lighter weights before you get to the heavier weights. And there's all kinds of reasons you would want to do that. Yeah, there's all kinds of reasons you'd want to do it and ways to do it. I mean, obvious, the most obvious of which is getting stronger. Mm. Um, but it doesn't have to just be about strength. It can be about putting extra strain on a muscle tissue that you want to have greater growth in. Um, you, it can be something that is a weak point in one of your skill areas mm -hmm. and you're just unable to manage it because you don't have the tissue capacity being the like strength in that muscle group or even tendons, ligaments to withstand that position or that skill. And so you want to change that intensity from lower to higher. And this doesn't have to be dramatic increases. Like it can be over a handful of pounds or kilos, or it could be from pretty lightweight to heavy, but to always have this change throughout the program. And I think one of the things that we should get into is the discussion of minimum effective volume right. and maximum recoverable volume. Yeah. And so minimum effective volume is basically the threshold at which someone is going to start to see adaptations. Mm -hmm. So if we're working below this, it's like what we talked about earlier, where you keep doing the same thing, eventually that minimum effective volume or, yeah, minimum effective volume is now higher than the stimulus you're giving. So if you kept doing three sets of 10 at a set weight for so long, your ability to derive adaptation from that is going to disappear. You're going to be better than that. So your minimum effective volume has gone up. Where we have to be careful with progressive overload is staying between that minimum effective volume and maximum recoverable volume. Because if we exceed that recovery capacity, then we're also not going to be adapting anymore. Yeah. So and, there's, and that, there's this window in the middle where we have to play around. That's where our training has to take place. For sure. And that ties in the concept of volume to load, which often there, there's obviously a relationship there. The volume is going to have to be adjusted for if I'm doing light weights, I can handle usually more volume. And typically what you would see somebody do is in a, um, a phase where we're trying to build work capacity or we're trying to focus on hypertrophy. And hypertrophy focus doesn't just – or muscle building itself doesn't just have to be because they're a bodybuilder. If I want to – think about this. If I'm trying to get somebody to squat more 
and I want them to um, start a training program where the end goal is going to be to squat more than they ever have by this date, then what I might try to do is add tissue to the system that's going to contribute to the squat pattern. And that could come from lighter weights where we're focusing on building some conditioning in the tissue and then focusing on hypertrophy and actually building some lean tissue and then transitioning to strength where we're going to more low to medium rep ranges. And then and this is obviously over weeks and months and then focusing on more low rep ranges and maximum weights. But when we do that, we ensure that the system, everything associated with that in terms of connective tissue, like we talked about the muscles themselves, right? Even structural stuff like the skeletal system, it's all ready and up for the task because we've progressively overloaded it. We've overloaded it and regressed and overloaded again and regressed and overloaded again and regressed. So loading and volume often have that inverse relationship anyways that people need to identify. They do. It can certainly be simpler than that though. Like you can look at, and this is probably more for beginner athletes, um, where you're just manipulating load. Like um, starting strength is a great example of this. Like they have their, their primary movements that they do, which I think is a back squat, a clean, and a press of some kind. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. And it's like five sets of five uh-huh. of each, and you run that over a series of weeks. I think it's three or four weeks, and the volume doesn't change at all, mm-hmm. but you're supposed to increase your numbers by, I forget if it's a percentage improvement yeah, it's or like if five it's a five to ten pounds. On upper body movements, ten pounds. On, and, then when you, when you, and then even when you fail on one of those, they keep the rep range the same, and they just drop it down to like 70%. You keep going, and they don't even change rep schemes on that until all three or four movements have maxed out. You can't complete the movement. And and then the whole thing will reset. But people can do that for years. Yeah, so that's that's a really, really simple way to look at progressive overload. And that's just manipulating one variable, and that's load. You can certainly do what you're talking about and have the interplay between load and volume yeah. and that becomes more complicated more complex because you need to more closely monitor that you're getting enough volume yeah. because it's real easy to go high load low volume and it be sub threshold below that minimum sure. effective volume and so that can get into some really gnarly feeling training because yeah. it's heavy it's hard and you still have to do enough volume to challenge yourself. Yeah, I, I think the, the the place where it's most important to understand the relationship between load and volume when it comes to linear, or not, I don't want to say linear periodization, but um, progressive overload and the specific, uh, um, the specific attempt to drive adaptation in a certain area is understanding that the load and volume will facilitate adaptation in certain ways. So at a certain weight and a certain rep scheme, we're focusing on maximal force production, uh, power at a certain weight uh, or percentage of your one rep maxes and a certain rep range, you're focusing on maximizing strength at a certain percentage of the load or your, your one rep max and a certain volume, you're focusing on facilitating hypertrophy, right? So I think 
those two together, well, really all these together, right? I mean, and we'll talk more about them in a second. But by volume, I mean, we could we could also be saying reps, but we're, we're, volume is overall training volume, uh, reps, for, <laughs> reps within a set. So they all have a relationship, and that's really the relationship of all of them is what leads to specific adaptation. And, and that's maybe the one difference in a program like this. It's a very deliberate attempt to focus on a specific adaptation versus a general exercise program where maybe there's not these specific phases where there is that focus. But we'll, we'll kind of stay on this for a second. Yeah, so I think you you really have – a lot of options to play with progressive overload sure and how you go about designing training programs um, and it all goes back to what athlete demands are um, and it looks entirely different for for each person you may have an olympic training cycle cycle which is four years so you have a lot of variability in what these plans and what these emphases are for you know months to years mm-hmm. over the four-year span um it's uh as you as you talked about you're going to have periods of peaking and progressing i think for most people like what you're talking about a more generalized strength and conditioning program you know that progressive overload is still important but it's it's going to be less about driving specific adaptations and more about improving general fitness and health overall over a period of time and so it can be a little bit in my mind a little bit messy because it's really hard to track what's getting better what's not getting better and where the shortcomings of the program may be you know if you because if you want to improve you know conditioning and you're also trying to improve load tolerance or strength and you're also trying to improve skills all at the same time it it can become pretty overwhelming yeah um especially if you've never done it before yeah like if you've if you've never either trained specific adaptations uh concurrently before and, and that's essentially what we're talking about concurrent training which used to be something i would i would think was more taboo but i don't if you've done it and you've lived in this world, and by lived in this world, I mean focused on, I would say majority of my clientele has obviously been CrossFit athletes or people, we call everyone athletes who participate in our programs. The general population doing a CrossFit program, they're looking at generalized adaptation over the long haul. So I think the main difference is, and we can get into this now. I 100% think there should still be progressive overload in a CrossFit program. It just becomes much more individualized because everyone's at a different uh, point when they start this. So somebody right, might be really strong compared to where they are with bodyweight exercises. Somebody might be great with bodyweight exercises and might be pretty weak. Somebody might have zero exposure to complex barbell movements. So it takes a little more communication with the athlete. It takes a little more on the athlete to understand where they are. And I think you can build in checkpoints because remember, progressive overload is just simply about making sure the athlete is built up to a certain point before you ask them to perform something that's got a certain level of demand on it. 
if they're not physiologically ready to accommodate those demands, there's going to be some sort of problem. And it's not just, as you identified earlier, about strength work, right? G a perf okay. There's yeah, performance programs, run, right? Run me through a little bit about like what you would program for someone who wanted to be better at CrossFit um, and wanted to drive a specific adaptation. How would you do yeah. like a progressive overload kind of CrossFit program? Like, yeah. I talked earlier about like a powerlifting kind of progression and yep. with a series of different sure. focuses. What would you do? How would you build a progressive CrossFit program? Yeah. So first thing I'll, I'll identify this as if you were to ask me if a person who is a CrossFit athlete, by that I mean like somebody who competes at CrossFit at some level, and it doesn't just have to be the CrossFit Games because if somebody competes every year at this throwdown and, and they, you know, in their town or in their county or their city, and they really want to do well at it, to me now, that's their CrossFit Games. Like they want to put in work to drive specific adaptations and fill certain gaps. Let's say that person is also a – let's say a different person is a CrossFit Games athlete. That is no longer – I want to be clear about this. If you ask me a CrossFit GPP program that that person is going to be on where they're just going to be doing a little bit of exercise that can still be progressively overloaded, but they're going to do a little bit of exercise you know, five, days of, five to six days a week forever – and not one single adaptation is necessarily more important than the other. They're not specifically chasing down a, a specific level of improvement on any adaptation. They're just doing exercise, right? Those athletes who we just talked about are on a performance-based program. And so I'm going to specifically identify weaknesses or holes in their game, and then we're going to progressively overload those holes. For example, let's say a common benchmark in the CrossFit world is 30 muscle-ups for time. If someone has never done 30 muscle-ups for time, what we, we might start with doing is doing 30 muscle-ups in sets of three every minute on the minute. And we might do that two days a week or one day a week, whatever it ends up being, whatever their specific tolerance is, whatever kind of athlete they are, but you'll get the general theme here. We might do three muscle-ups every minute on the minute or every minute and a half, whatever you you get the idea until they accomplish, I don't know, 30 muscle-ups or 35 muscle-ups. And then we do that for a week or two and then it goes to five. And then I might ask them to do three sets of 10, resting one to two. Right, so they're going to rest twice as long or three times as long as it took them to do the 10. And then we're going to have them try to do two sets of 15. Right? And then I might ask them to test them at the end of this thing to do 30 muscle-ups for time. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to start by chunking up the task into much smaller doable pieces. And over a series of weeks or months, build up progressively their capacity where we're adding volume and skill and demand and then having a little rest week and backing off and then asking them to do a little bit more for a couple of weeks and then backing off. And then after about 12 weeks, I'm going to see where I'm at with that adaptation. But I just I don't just say, hey, do 30 muscle-ups for time you know, once a week until you get better at it. I slowly implement a, a progression 
that helps them build that skill so that it improves and their body right acclimates and builds up and has the capacity to handle the new stress and strain while building in time to recover. So that's something I would do for for skill-based movement like a muscle-up. Strength would be the same thing you talked about before. And the, the, when you say messy, I get it because – I mean, we're talking about so many adaptations at one time because that person might need to improve their mile time too. Yeah. You know, so you're doing that all over. And I would say the the messy is probably more related to your generalized athlete than your your actual games competitor mm-hmm. or someone who's at an elite level. I feel like there's there's definitely some nuance that you have to realize when you're working with elite athletes. You have to be able to pick out the small deficiencies that mm-hmm. they have to work on those because they're if they're an elite athlete they're probably pretty good all over especially right. like a crossfit athlete a crossfit they're, games athlete crossfit games athlete yeah. they're pretty good across the spectrum their weightlifting has to be pretty good yeah they have to be pretty good at the gymnastics stuff yeah. they have to be pretty good at running but see we we have data on all this stuff now and so even with a crossfit games athlete very rarely do you see the guy who's at Let's let's say you know there's a spectrum spectrum of tasks, and on this uh, on the far left in terms of the spectrum of tasks is a uh, free trail ten mile trail run, right? Uh, you know, or a half marathon, so super endurance based, right? And on the other side is I don't let's call it like a one rep max lift, and then everything you in between. Do like a snatch ladder. Yeah, well, snatch ladder. But but what I'm saying is everything in between. There is very f- there are very few people that, in terms of the spectrum of CrossFit Games athletes and the history of the sport, are at the top end of both of those. So even with a person who's very good, they've made it to CrossFit Games. You can still look at them, compare them to the data, and be like, okay, this is what we're going to try to make improvement on. Because if we try to improve these two things by this much. Well, last year you finished in 23rd place, and next year if we do that, that gets you into like 15th, 16th place if you're hanging around these numbers. And then obviously you have to apply these skills to the to the sport-specific tasks of combining them and doing workouts. Again, whole separate conversation, but you can still – like they're not perfect, you know. And, and I will say that when we talk about a CrossFit program – and why it's so fundamentally different from a performance-based program in terms of the general public is you aren't doing these very – I mean you can. You can certainly do a strength. Hey, guys, we're going to focus this month at my gym. We're going to focus on strength. So we're going to prioritize that adaptation, get a good base going. They're definitely hearing those booms. Yeah, those are some pretty big uh, sonic booms if you guys are – hearing that over the microphone yeah i mean again i i, I listened the first time we're like oh can you hear the jets taking off and you really couldn't when i listen listen to it but the microphone is like flashing red every time that happens yeah these are like shaking the building <laughs> um yeah the fundamental difference is you maybe aren't chasing a specific adaptation because again you're just doing some daily exercise but what you can do individually is monitor how much you're asking somebody to do as they move through your program. Um, as a coach, it might take a little bit more individual work. Another skill-based movement, hey, we have handstand push-ups in the workout today, and somebody's never been upside down before. I'm not just going to throw them upside down. I'm going to progressively ask a little more from them every time we have that exposure until eventually they're upside down when I know they have the capacity to do so. And there's also nothing wrong with 
adding extra work before class or after class, but even if you didn't want to do that, you just wanted to keep it within the class, I'm going to progressively overload the stress and strain I put on my athletes. And in CrossFit, even though it's group fitness in most circumstances, that can be completely individualized. Yeah, I think this is one of the areas where like CrossFit gets both a bad reputation and also it's not necessarily deserved with the idea of scaling workouts. Like basically scaling is just bringing it down, making it a little bit more remedial and appropriate at an appropriate volume or intensity for a given athlete that might be in that group fitness class. And yeah, don't leave that thought yet. I want to expand on that a little bit. I think it is one of the most misunderstood aspects of the program, the idea of scaling. Because you you explained it very well just then, but we we even add on to it a little little bit more. Scaling, I think, is a very important part of what we call progressive overload. Because you said making it more remedial. Um, It depends. Yes, it might be remedial compared to the workout that has been written. But what you're really trying to do is every workout that is written and it doesn't matter what program we're talking about. It could be a general, a traditional strength conditioning workout that somebody's being exposed to or a CrossFit class workout. The workout has intention behind it by the person who programmed it. This is what I'm after when I'm putting this together. This is what I want the person who does this workout to experience, to go through, how long I want it to take, the adaptation I'm trying to chisel away at. So what scaling does is individualize the workout to the person doing the workout where the main thing that is maintained is the stimulus. So I might have to change that workout rep-wise, weight-wise, time-wise, distance-wise so that the person doing the workout is getting the stimulus, not just the shit that's written on the board. Yeah, that's that's a good clarification. I, I should say that I, I misspoke in saying it was a remedialization of it. Well, it is to a certain extent. To a certain extent, because the way you described it, you can also scale up. Yeah. So it it may very well be an advancement. I mean, an easy example, and I'm not out here doing a bunch of CrossFit workouts, but like, let's say there's a workout that has power cleans in it. Mm -hmm. Your ability to do power cleans far exceeds mine. Yeah, I'm much, much stronger (laughs) than you. Um, So that that would be true, yes. Uh, not much stronger, much, I would, let's say, more powerful. <laughs> oh, now you're, now you're going to be all <laughs> We're going to split hairs technical, here. Technical, okay. Uh, but so, you know, if it's, it's, if it's a workout that has a certain number of cleans at 60 kilos or yeah. 135 pounds, you're going to accomplish those much easier than I am, much faster than I will, just because you're much more efficient in that motor pattern than I am. You've been exposed to it a lot more than I have. And, and, so and the stimulus we... for you is not the same as the stimulus for me. No. So we need to, mine would probably go down in load, yeah. and yours would either go up in volume or up in weight. Yeah, and, and, and we, if we put parameters on that too, it would help make that decision, right? We say like, hey, you have 30 power cleans to do at this weight, um, and it shouldn't take you more than four minutes. Well, then you then it would help you make those decisions. And again, that's another uh, that's another discussion on. Uh, and actually, I'm going to actually uh, do a discussion on this soon. But giving clear expectations so you know what the stimulus is supposed to look and feel like, and then you can scale it or progressively overload based on what you've done before and based on what you want to do in the in the future 
to your ability, which is what you're talking about right now. Like, okay, they want me to do it in this much time. It's going to be this many. I can't do that weight in this much time, but I probably could do this. So let me do this. And I have, you know, I've done this up to this point. So now let me try this. Yeah, I think stimulus as a key factor in workouts and building training is really important. Like that's that's really what you're looking for out of progressive overload yeah. is what the stimulus is, you know, for getting stronger. It's not going to be I'm so beat down because I'm out of breath that I can't do any more reps or any more sets or any more weight. Mm-hmm. Like that's an inappropriate stimulus. Mm-hmm. You need to change variables during that training program, whether that's longer rest, maybe you need to have a little bit of time where you're working with a little bit more volume and mm-hmm. a little less load so that you're not feeling so beat down. Um, or it could be you know endurance training where you're keeping things within a certain heart rate zone Mm -hmm. so that you're getting the stimulus desired. You may very well be overworking Mm -hmm. your desired stimulus or underworking it. And so knowing what that stimulus is for each block of training and even more within each training episode or each training session, you need to know what that training stimulus is so that it's being met like what are you what are you trying to achieve and then you look at the variables to achieve that yeah now, and and we've been talking about this in terms of lifting weights or some high skill gymnastics movements but it's very clearly seen in, in, in the aerobic setting as well too if i'm starting out somebody and i want to build aerobic adaptation it all starts with okay. Where do I want them to perform the highest? It, by that I mean like what what distance is, is going to be my test? Is it 800 meters? Is it a 40 meter sprint? And then even then, what I might start doing from the very beginning is having people run for much longer than that, much slower than that, a continuous in a in a continuous um, heart rate zone at very low effort. And then I start to chunk that up into smaller distances at a higher intensity, into much smaller different distances at much higher intensity and higher volume. And you can see where this, how this pattern goes. And I would get them to where they're now running those 800 meters significantly more, more uh, quickly than they were running them at the very beginning. But you have to kind of work backwards and lay down a base and then progressively overload the stress and strain, right? Allowing for time for adaptation to actually occur. And another big part of this that we haven't talked about, but it needs to be its whole own episode is recovery. But enough time for recovery to actually happen and adaptation to occur. And now you've got an athlete that can perform better. So progressive overload is really just managing stress. Yeah. I think going back to the running example a little bit, I think that's a a really interesting example to use too because you can go at it two different ways. Mm -hmm. You can go at it from the more at lower intensity and build to higher intensity mm-hmm. and shorter. Right. Or you can go from higher intensity, multiple uh, episodes. So yeah. like Inter- doing, interval doing interval work. Right. Where like let's say somebody wants to run a mile and they've never run a mile before. Yep. You jog or run at a significant pace yep. for a tenth of a mile. Yep. And then maybe you walk two tenths of a mile. Sure. So at a very low capacity – and then you do it again, and you do multiple bouts yeah. like that. And then eventually, you can do, you can run 0.2. Yep. You can run 0.25. 
and you have fewer and fewer of those low intensity spots within that that goal training volume. Yeah. But so running's a really interesting well, one. All like of I said, like, all of these, right? Ways. There's so many. I bet you could. Um, uh, what, what do they say? So to speak. So to speak. So to right. speak. And well, you can't. But it's also harder. Like, like powerlifting is a good example. Like, it's harder to go heavier and work down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. No. For sure. Um, I, I think in all these, it's important to point out, and all these examples we've given, there's all kinds of ways to facilitate or elicit some sort of adaptation. There. I mean. There isn't like one way I'm advocating for right now. Um, it depends on the person. Um, but one of the reasons I like, and I can, I, as soon as I say this is why I like to do it, I could immediately come up with a counter to it in my head. Like I like to do longer, slower distance, volume based, and kind of build up intensity as the person adapts because I know their hamstrings are getting more acclimated. Because all the while I'm doing core work and hip work and hamstring work and getting them ready for the intensity. So the structures associated in the tissue is ready for that adaptation when I really say, okay, now it's time to turn it on. I've built up this base versus like, okay, hey, let's go do some intervals. I more often see athletes break down because their body isn't ready for it. Now, certainly that doesn't have to happen. You yeah, can implement I, it the right way. I think way. some of that is, is athlete dependent for yeah, sure. Yeah. Because if you have someone that can tolerate really high volumes, mm-hmm. then even out of shape Mm -hmm. then going from the high volume low intensity is probably a better choice personally like and this is all anecdotal sure it's my experience like i do not have any more i used to have i don't have good capacity for high volume training like that so like i'm trying to do some some running right now and i'm having to do some more interval work because if i try to like walk or light jog for a really long time then I have like tendonitis in yeah. my Achilles or my knee yeah. or whatever because I just don't have the capacity for that, which then you can also look at. So things like that, you can look at maybe the intensity of that high volume stuff is still even too high. Sure, sure. And so playing with those kind of variables makes a big difference. Yeah, it helps when you actively train yourself, doesn't it? And you're a coach and, you tra- and you're, you're somebody who's doing it yourself. I, I think I've always been in athlete's – that I know, and, and I know I have athletes that I've worked with years ago that that actually listen to this podcast, uh, which I'm very grateful for. But they would probably admit um, to this or, or agree with me that I'm I've always been somebody, even when I was a younger coach, which is kind of interesting. I was so I don't want to say afraid, but I, I didn't want people to get hurt in the gym. I wanted training to help improve the quality of their life outside of the gym. I, I never really thought that they were in here working out at at my gym because they just wanted to be great at working out. With that being said, I have even more so now as I've gotten older and done this longer, had my athletes earn intensity. And that means like I make them earn running fast and hard. I make them earn going fast in a workout. I make them earn, you know, lifting heavy. And to me, that usually comes with a a significant amount of time where I have seen them do enough at enough weight and we have built up to the point where I'm okay with letting them try this now. And then it's always just a game of pushing a little harder and pulling back a little more. Okay, pushing a little harder and pulling back a little more. So I think that's maybe where my method of like establish a space at low intensity and progressively asking for a little bit more over months and years. Um, Obviously that's accelerated based on the timeline. Um, that's probably where my approach comes from. 
Yeah, I think that makes sense. And it's to go back just a little bit to what I was talking about earlier with the MRV maximum minimum maximum recoverable volume. Yeah. Like that's much easier to exceed if you're working at a high intensity. Yeah. Like most people have pretty poor tolerance to high intensity, so they're going to break down a lot faster. Yep. It's like medicine, right? Like they prescribe you a certain amount of medicine and you say, hey, take this much medicine because this is the least amount you need for it to do what it's supposed to do. And any more than that, it'll be bad for you. <laughs> so exactly. it's, it's exactly how they prescribe, you know, medication. Yeah. So everything comes down to, you know, what, what your adaptation is that you're looking at, the variables that you can manipulate to do that, and what your ultimate stimulus is going to be during your training to elicit said adaptation. Uh, there's lots of variables to play with. There's lots of ways to do it. Yeah, um, we didn't give many specifics. And, and yeah. I get that. We we weren't really trying to. And if you have questions on specifics, definitely let us know because there's like textbooks upon textbooks about the specifics and the ways to do that. But the themes and the ideas and the concepts and the whys are what we wanted people to think about. Yeah, just to kind of get your get your brain going about like, what are what are the things I'm trying to get out of myself or my athletes, and what are the ways in which I can do that? What kind of things can I play with, tinker with in this training program to make it better fit my needs or my athletes' needs? Um, if you're not messing with those variables, you're gonna stagnate. It's it's really important to have variability in your training program. Yep. Nice job, Doc. Thank you. That was pretty good. Good job, Masters. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I am happy to report that since our last episode, you have a freshly shaved head. That's right. Okay, so you don't look as sloppy. You put, put some time into yourself today, I think. Uh, you got the khakis and the button-up today. Uh, I'm slightly dressed. Okay. <laughs> I know. You're fully – let's be clear about this. You're fully dressed. You're slightly overdressed. For this podcast, yeah, I'm slightly <laughs> overdressed. Okay. All right, guys. We appreciate it. Talk to you next time.